in three and two and one. Hi, everybody. We call this one Craig Morley, the pandemic, and that infamous crystal ball. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. This is Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate, and our guest on the podcast today is Craig Morley. Not only is Craig a personal friend, he's also the president of the National Association of Appraisers, as well as the chair this year of NAR's appraisal section. Just note, however, Craig's speaking to us today just as Craig, an appraiser. He's not a spokesman for either of those organizations. Craig, let's take a couple of minutes and talk about what's happening. Now, as we record this, we're still in the middle of the coronavirus issue. So let's talk about what has happened through Fannie Mae and FHA in the last couple of days. Let's talk about what we might be looking at in the future. Let's talk about what we as appraisers need to do to not only be careful for ourselves and our families, but for others and their families as well. Since this last Monday, since March 23rd, a number of letters have come out from Fannie Mae instructing us, guiding us, as it were, on what's going on. What are your take on on Fannie Mae's changes of instructions? Tim, my take on what Fannie Mae has sent out is that they are trying to be sensitive to the risks that appraisers face in performing some of these appraisals where you're going into people's homes. But the sense that I've got is they still prefer having the appraiser go into the home to collect the information. And that the, the fear that I have is that as appraisers see this possibility of doing a drive-by or desk top appraisal that they are not fully understanding what qualifies them to be able to do that. And so what I'm hoping is maybe as we chat for a few minutes today, that we can help appraisers understand that the appraiser is not the one that determines whether the scope of work on the inspection will be altered to be either a drive-by or a desktop, that uh, the lender is the one who is going to determine if the property and the borrower qualify for this altered inspection scope of work and talk a little bit about how do we know and uh, what we do if it if the properties qualify. Well, let me, Craig, let me raise an issue. Now, you know I'm a USPAP instructor and I spend a lot of time on the phone. I spend a lot of time in USPAP classes talking, talking with appraisers about scope of work. And one of the areas I stress is that it is the appraiser who decides the scope of work. The client doesn't tell the appraiser what the appraiser is going to do to form a credible value opinion. The appraiser tells the client what the appraiser did to form a credible value opinion. Given what Fannie Mae has just come out with, as, as you just said, is are we seeing that being turned on its head? In some degree, that that is, is clearly an issue. So here, here's the thing that I see with this, Tim, is that the level of the data collection for the appraisal is at some level a we're, we're trying to solve a valuation problem for our client and our client wants to know what level I can rely upon this appraisal and Fannie Mae for years has basically said this is what we want you to do we want you to go look at the property we've got a form that you're going to fill out and deliver to us with your assignment results and within that form it's got a certification and limiting conditions which basically outline and so we're they're communicating with 
the appraiser to say, this is our evaluation problem. This is the work that we would like to see completed to to solve this valuation problem. And if as an appraiser, I think I need to do more than what Fannie Mae is asking me to do as part of this valuation problem I'm trying to solve, then I'm, I'm obliged to do that. But I really can't do less than what they have, than what they're asking, because it's part of the engagement that they are, you know, that I've negotiated with them in doing that. In this particular case, you know, we've been able to do drive-bys and desktops for years. The problem that I see for appraisers is, and, and this is something that we, we oftentimes will encounter, is that if I drive by a property and I can't see the property from the public street, or I can't see enough of it to develop enough information, can I even do that drive-by appraisal even though my client says it's okay? And I think, you know, I think if we were to talk about that, the answer would be no. You've got to be able to collect enough information so that I can be able to determine what the physical characteristics of the property are so that I can develop a credible assignment result within the parameters, uh, you know, within the valuation problem that I'm trying to solve. Okay. And, now, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and, and, and oftentimes, you know, we will look at public records. We will look at old MLS photos. We will look at a number of things, and then we will maybe put some extraordinary assumptions out there to do that. And so, you know, that, that all becomes part of the uh, – what we as appraisers are trying to figure out is, is there enough information out there to where I can develop a credible assignment result based upon what my client's looking for? All right, let me let me read something to you. Now, this is from the uh, this is from Fannie Mae. The document is entitled "Modified Set of Instructions, Scope of Work, Statement of Assumptions and Limiting Conditions, and Certification for Desktop Appraisals." And I think it came out March twenty second or twenty third or twenty fourth. So, as we record this, it's extremely current. Now, one of the th this is in its pre-printed statement of assumptions and limiting conditions. Specifically, it's from number three, and it says, "Quote: After examination of the data and data sources, the appraiser has used only the data he or she considers reliable." Unquote. Now, that's not significantly different than it was before, and in fact, we are not going to use data if we don't consider it reliable. However, given the fact that this is from a desktop appraisal. In other words, there there have been no boots in the living room. All right. This this is from the desktop appraisal. Does this sound as if Fanny is preparing us for the time when we won't be inspecting properties because Fanny doesn't think that's necessary? Well, clearly we are we know that Fanny has been exploring various alternatives to what we have traditionally done on the traditional 1004 residential appraisal report form and the associated scope of work and assignment conditions. I, I suspect, Tim, what's going to happen is that Fannie Mae is going to be looking very closely at the performance of this of the loan portfolio for these properties where we've had this altered scope of work. And if, you, if they end up determining that there's not a material difference in the risk for these properties where either the drive-bys or desktops were completed, you know, we might be setting the stage for that to become a more prevalent 
type of appraisal that than what we've seen in the past. But I, I know for us, and I'd mentioned to you, you know, we we've got five residential appraisers in our office. We work in a geographic area that covers, you know, we're on kind of one of these border state situations between Nevada, Arizona, and uh, Utah. And we get something, you know, we've been getting something in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 residential orders a day. And because we're in an area where we're considered to be an essential service provider, it really hasn't changed the, the appraisal activity that we're involved with, other than we've got a protocol that we follow. But beyond that, we haven't seen a single desktop or drive-by appraisal request from a single client that we're dealing with, which kind of leads me to believe that the lenders still prefer to have the appraiser go into the home and look at it. And so it will be interesting to see how many of these properties qualify for these altered inspection options and uh, how how frequently they're going to be done because our our boots on the ground experience is that uh, we haven't seen very much at this point. I'm going to come back to a couple of your points here, but let me continue reading in this document. Again, same document. And this is the appraiser certification. It's specifically number two. It says, the appraiser certifies and agrees that I did not perform a visual inspection of the subject property as part of this appraisal assignment. I reported the condition of the improvements in factual specific terms, relying on subject property information from third-party data sources. I reported the physical deficiencies that could affect the livability, soundness, or structural integrity of the property. Now, Craig, this to me, and I'm going to use a term that I, I hope doesn't get anybody in trouble, but given the fact that it says, I did not perform a visual inspection, but then it says, I reported the physical deficiencies that could affect livability, blah, blah, blah. That sounds like a load of crap. How can I not inspect the property, but yet report on the physical deficiencies of the property? That makes no sense to me. And yet, this is what Fannie Mae is asking us to certify. Am I looking at this totally wrong? Well, see, Tim, I was down in Mexico some time ago, and they were selling crystal balls down there, which I got one and brought it home. Oh, then you know what's going on. Okay, all right. So, so that answers the question. Okay. I, I go peer at this crystal ball and then determine if there's uh, these deficiencies, and then I obviously report on them. No, I th there may be. I mean, you you if, if I'm looking at public records, I'm looking at old MLS data sheets and stuff. I might be able to detect deficiencies from some of these sources. And I the only thing I can assume is that in the course of your investigation and collecting property data, if you find there there's something that's a problem, uh, you know, then then good sense would say, I'm going to tell my client about it. But I, I, I worry, as you do, that the fact that I'm certifying that I'm reporting all of these things uh, without having seen them does cause one to wonder how, how I would detect those things uh, without having seen the property. And so it, it, it seems to me like it could be a problem. But I, I, I got to think that if they know that you're not physically looking at the property, 
you've got to assume they know that you're not going to be able to detect all of the possible problems that may exist with the property. Okay, now given your relationship to the Utah board, and so that everybody knows, you were a member of the board, you were chairman of the board, you're not on the board now, but your son Jeff is the, the chair of the Utah board, and you're not speaking for the board now. When the appraiser is up before you, and says, look, no, I didn't go on the property, and I fully admitted to that. But somebody says, well, yeah, but you said all of these things were wrong. So how do you know they were wrong if you didn't get in the property? Are you misrepresenting something to us? What is going to happen in, in that kind of a situation? Well, the, the, the reality is, is that most of the time, we found that the board members and the investigators were pretty reasonable people. The concern and the issue was, did I report my assignment results in a misleading way? And so if I was aware of characteristics or circumstances that I should have known or I reasonably should have known and didn't communicate them and I didn't analyze them and report it to my client, then I've got a problem. If I was unaware of those circumstances, and I'll, I'll give you an example. We, we had a case brought before the board when I was the chair where there was a large, regional water line that ran through the middle of this commercial property. And the appraiser did not disclose it or analyze the impact of this water line, which had an easement. But here was the problem. Because it was a regional water line, and by declaration of the Homeland Security folks, they would not put that on the public records because they were trying to make sure that it was not easy for a terrorist to be able to go in and pollute that major water supply line. You couldn't detect that from the public records because the plat maps and so forth did not show that. So apparently what happens is this guy who owns the property is aware that it's there. He's got the property now sold. His attorney advises him, says, listen, you have got to tell the buyer and the appraiser that this water line runs through your property. So he does. The appraiser goes in and alters the appraisal to reflect the presence of this thing, which adjusts the value. And now the buyer is a little concerned about it. And when the value gets changed, the seller files a complaint on the appraiser. What happens is that the the seller's now upset and he files a complaint with the Division of Real Estate. And in our investigation, basically the position that we took was that a reasonable person in the normal course of business could not have detected the presence of this thing. And so the fact that he developed his first appraisal without disclosing that, uh, what was, was we, we determined that was not a uh, violation and, and did not take any action against him. I think most appraisal boards try to be reasonable. And if they know that the assignment was for a desktop appraisal and something comes up that you could not have detected from a desktop analysis, I, I would be surprised if any boards take action on something like that. Okay, let me read one more instance from this document, and then I'm going to take my aluminum foil pyramid hat off, and we're going to talk about other areas. Number 17, it says, I have no present or prospective interest in the property, that's the subject of this report, and I have no present or prospective personal interest or bias with respect to the participants in this transaction. 
but yet you are biased because you're staying out of their house because they could be sick, you could be sick, and you don't want to transmit anything. Again, is that a misrepresentation? I, I think most boards would probably not consider that to be a misrepresentation. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday on a conference call that we collectively were involved with, where I see maybe the bigger risk is if an appraiser unknowingly goes into someone's house and they carry this COVID-19 virus and you were to transmit that to someone in that home, I, you might have some liability. And, and that, that could be a legitimate problem. And so I, I would be surprised if an appraisal board or an enforcement agency were to take action on that simply given the circumstances that we currently live in. But certainly we've seen some some investigative people do things that are crazier than that. So, you know, nothing's ever certain. But you don't think that there is any misrepresentation in that statement? I don't think so, because I think most of the time they're going to look at this and say that I, I don't have a bias towards the property, the property owner that's going to affect my assignment results. I'm just not going I, I'm not going into this home simply because I don't want to risk their safety or mine. Presumably, the appraisers have the good sense to make sure that uh, the client is allowing that altered inspection scope of work. And if they have, then I, I, I don't think it results in any bias that uh, would, would affect the assignment results. Now, if you came in and said, hey, this house has been, the occupants have COVID-19 and I'm going to discount it because I think it's going to affect the uh, livability of the house uh, and, and the marketability is going to be stigmatized, uh, you might have, that, that might be an issue. All right, let's go back to the concept of your purchase in Mexico, the, the crystal ball. You mentioned appraisers communicating properly with their clients. In addition to what is in these recommended changes that Fannie Mae has, which Fannie Mae admits are temporary, what else do you think appraisers need to provide in their reports in order to protect themselves from problems with the state board, problems with plaintiffs, relative to what amounts to a limited scope of work. Is there anything special you can provide us with there? Well, I think the thing that appraisers need to be extremely cautious with is that I really wished Fannie Mae was not using the 1004 appraisal report form for these desktop appraisals. In fact, I, I wish they were advocating the use of the 1004P because it allows within that certification a little broader range of options for the appraiser. The thing that has always bothered me with the 1004 is the appraiser signing the report, signs the certification, saying that they've made a complete interior and exterior inspection of the property and that they've inspected all the comparable sales. It bothers me a little bit that Fannie Mae is now saying, well, not really. You can ignore that part. And, and they've got very specific language that needs to be put into the report. And so my recommendation to appraisers is that you better 
better follow that protocol exactly so that if, heaven forbid, a property owner is unhappy with the appraisal and they're going, well, how can this appraiser possibly know about my home? Mine is way better than those properties they're using as comparable sales. It's got a better view. It's in better shape. It's better quality. And so they file a complaint. And and I think there's a certain element of risk associated with having complaints filed when I haven't looked at the property to the normal level that I would. And so I would make want to make sure that the appraiser has been very clear that uh, I've had to make some assumptions about quality and condition on the interior of the property or about the property as a whole. And that I would want to make sure that with that extraordinary assumption that I would make it clear that if the assumptions I've made, it could affect the assignment results if my assumptions are proven to be false. You know, that's kind of customary language within USPAP that when I make an extraordinary assumption or a hypothetical condition, that that language is clearly included within the appraisal and that I use the protocol putting all of the comments where Fannie Mae wants to see them. I think if you do that, you're probably going to be fine. But if you don't and somebody files a complaint, you're likely to have a problem. All right. Let's look at a variation on that. Now, somebody says, go out to 1234 Elm Street and appraise it. And you say, okay. And you call ahead, you call a broker, and you say, broker, I'm going out there. I'm going to inspect it. Please, if the house can be vacant, you know, wonderful. But please explain to those folks that six feet, I got a mask, I got gloves, I got booties. I want them to have the doors open, the cabinets open, all the lights on, blah, 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 blah. And if at all possible, nobody there. So the broker says, okay, yeah, no, no problem. I'll make sure nobody's there. We'll take them out to dinner or whatever. So you go, okay, agreed. Those are the terms on which you agree to inspect the property. Those terms you have passed on to the client. The client says, yeah, okay, we don't care. Just inspect the property property. And you go out there and you knock on the door and nobody's there. And you're wandering about the house when you hear the front door open and the owner walks in and says, oh, listen, I just had to tell you about this deck that we just put in. Well, you're dressed up in the mask and the booties and the clean hands and you haven't touched anything. And here is this completely unprotected homeowner who wants to get right up in your face and talk about the wonderful deck that he just built. Now, at that point, What is the appraiser supposed to do? Is the appraiser supposed to continue with the assignment and then negate in the language of the report all of the precautions the appraiser took? Is the appraiser supposed to say, oh my word, I can't inspect this property now. You could be sick. I could be sick. I'm leaving immediately. What does the poor appraiser do in this situation? That's a difficult scenario to find yourself in. The the thing that we've been doing, Tim, and and, and I don't know that what we're doing is the best or that it's the only way or is it even enough for that matter? But as you have outlined in this scenario, I have staff that sets up the appointments for us and we have a very specific protocol so that when we schedule to go out and look at a property, obviously we'd prefer to have it empty. We prefer to have the lights on so that I don't have to touch any services. We've got the disposable rubber gloves. We want to make sure that if anyone in that home is sick or manifesting any kind of symptoms, we just contact the lender and say, you know what, we're going to have to reschedule this, either cancel the assignment or do something because we don't want to put ourselves or the people who occupy the home 
in any kind of risk. And so I think that realistically, the key for the appraiser is to document. You've got an established protocol. You document what you've done. Our staff leaves notes that that says, that becomes part of our work file, that says, I contacted this person on this day. We gave them the inspection protocol. They agreed to it. And so now I go there with my hand sanitized, with my gloves on. I'm keeping the social distance. I'm minimizing touching. If I have done those things, I personally feel comfortable to have someone in the home and, and to be able to interact at an appropriate distance and not, not have a concern about it. But if that person in the scenario was sick and uh, or manifesting any of the symptoms, I'm not going to be happy. And, and I think in that scenario, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to say, you know what? We had agreed to this kind of a situation. I understand that you've had some contact uh, with someone who's been ill. I can't stay. I've got to leave. We'll just have to either cancel the assignment or reschedule. But if you feel like you can reasonably finish the assignment without exposing the person or your yourself to unnecessary risks, then I'd probably finish it and be done. Let's uh, take a look at appraising in March of 2020 versus appraising in February of 2020. How do you think it's changed and how are those changes going to become part of the appraisal landscape? Well, we've got two elements that I think are going to become, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the first element is that we've got an element of uncertainty with this COVID-19. We know that it's going to have an impact on the economy. We know that economic uncertainty currently exists. And so from a practical standpoint, as an appraiser, I'm going to find maybe one of my uh, liability insurance providers and see if they have some statements that they're recommending, which most of them do. I know Landy does. I know that liability administrators does. I know that uh, OREP does. I think what I want to do is make sure that I'm disclosing to my client that there's an element of uncertainty as a result of this, and we don't know what kind of impact it's going to have on future economic conditions environment. Personally, I see the appraisal as being as a snapshot in time. I, I'm not trying to tell my client that the economic circumstances are going to be really good or really bad in the future. I don't know. It's certainly, this whole uh, pandemic is certainly going to have an impact on real estate in so, at some level. We just don't know what it's going to be. And so I want to make sure I'm using appropriate language in my appraisal, letting them know that uh, the economic uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in and try to do everything I can to uh, disclose that properly and you know, at that point, I guess we have to wait and see what happens. So basically what you're saying is this is this is going back to communication. A lot of appraisers tend to depend on the boilerplate because it's quick and it's done and, and they can cut and paste it into the report and move on. Do you think that the situation now is going to continue into the future wherein the appraiser has got to be more communicative, more explanatory, do more research and do more analyses just to come up with the same old value opinion because of the changes that are going to take place due to this? I do. And I think one of the things as appraisers that we can do 
and probably should be doing is we we know what the historic sales record is going to show. Yeah, you know, I've often told people that appraisers are kind of like weathermen. We're pretty good at telling you what happened. We're not so good at forecasting what's going to happen. But one of the things that we can look at is what is our listing inventories looking like and what is going on with the homes that are under contract? Are we seeing some of these homes that are under contract falling out? And I know some of that has happened. Are we seeing an increase in in listing inventory? You know, in our market, we haven't seen that yet, but it may change. And so as we look at what's happening with our supply and demand and, and buyer behavior, that starts to give us some clues as to what is happening in the market. And it might help us to be able to advise our clients that if we start seeing increasing inventories of properties on the market, if we start seeing declines in uh, contracts that start falling off, that's an economic indicator that we're probably going to see property values start to soften up a little bit. And if we start seeing, and we're hoping with some of the economic aid and things that are that have been announced with the uh, essentially the bailout that we've got for uh, people who are adversely impacted with this situation, it, it hopefully will mitigate some of this. It'll put a stay on foreclosures and things like that. But boy, if we see a lot of foreclosures start to take place in four or five months from now, it could change the value landscape significantly. But we're getting toward the end, and, and Craig, again, I appreciate your time, as well as your expertise and your wisdom. Let me ask a question that is at best tangentially related. It's no secret that appraisers tend to be old, which means that they're getting near retirement. Theoretically, they've built up a business and maybe they're in the position to retire. Two things. Number one, do you think this will speed up the retirement of some old appraisers? And I'm not talking about you and me, of course. Do, do you think this will speed up the retirement of older appraisers? And if it does, is that body of wisdom, is that reservoir of wisdom being taken out of the appraisal industry going to help it or hurt it? Well, I've been told that appraisers don't retire. They just die. But uh, maybe. <laughs> or, or they smell like they did. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but I think. One of the one of the things that I've observed him over over the years is that the skill set that the current appraiser needs to have is is a little different than when you and I started appraising you know 30 40 years ago and and unfortunately many of the appraisers who kind of came through that training process did not acquire some of the skills that they really should have now I know that you have and uh, you know I'd like to think maybe I've acquired some of this over time. You know, in the university, I you know recall taking statistics courses and economics courses and things that required some fairly rigorous math and to understand some of the uh, tools that we should be more effectively using in developing and reporting our appraisal assignment results. But a lot of folks have not honed their skills. And so to the extent that we have some of these folks that are kind of transitioning out of the business that don't have 
the current skill set that they should have, maybe it's not going to be that big of a deal. I think the other side of it, though, is that you and I have lived through enough of these economic cycles. And if we're paying attention to what goes on in those cycles, it kind of helps us to gain a perspective that if you've never been through that, uh, you may not have. But I think the the historic uh, wisdom and perspective is hard to be replaced with someone who hasn't been through that. But at the same time, I'm hopeful that we're getting a appraisers coming up through have had a little more education. I'm hopeful that we will begin to assimilate some of the really good tools that are out there into our appraisal practice that will give us the ability to be able to provide better appraisal results than maybe what we've seen in the past where we just have lots of anecdotal data that was used to support the things that we did. Now, Craig, is there anything else you want to cover? Well, I think in the short run, the biggest concern that I've had is that appraisers uh, realize that not every property is going to qualify for the modified inspection scope of work. And I think we talked about that. But the other part of it is, is that uh, if appraisers are concerned about going into somebody's home and because they're afraid they're sick and they would catch something, then then don't do it. Go talk to your client. Tell them about your concerns and either they can reassign it or there, there's some appraisers who either themselves are high risk or have family members who are high risk where they may want to uh, use a a higher level of caution than uh, somebody who's not in that situation would need to. So this goes back to the concept of being more communicative and more explanatory with the client than appraisers typically are, correct? I think so. I think that's that that to, to me is the key is talk to your client, tell them about the situation. I talked to a guy in Ohio who uh, where the governor had come and basically said uh, we need to have uh, people uh, stay at home and and in New York I think there there's some issues about whether or not appraisers are considered to be essential uh, service providers or not they've written a letter to the governor trying to get some clarification but most states at this point have ruled that appraisers are part of the financial institutions and they represent or constitute essential service providers and so as long as appraisers are taking appropriate precautions, they're able to be able to go out and and do their appraisal activities and uh, without having to be confined to their homes. Okay. So you want to double check that to make sure. Okay. So, so safe sex has been, uh, been replaced with safe appraising then. Right. right, That's exactly. (laughs) Okay. Craig, thank you. Again, I appreciate your professionalism. I appreciate your wisdom. Please let me extend my best to you and your family. Well, again, Craig, thank you. I appreciate it very much. And uh, I look forward to the next time we chat. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. This is Tim Anderson. If I can be of help to you ever in any type of real estate appraisal situation, please contact me, Tim, at theappraisersadvocate.com. It'll be an honor to work with you. Thank you. Be safe, be sage, be well, and we're clear.